You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Just a heads up, the first couple minutes, the sound is a little rough because I had to use a backup because some idiot forgot to hit the recorder. And... Hi, Mittens. And so, uh, just so you know, it won't sound like this the whole time. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. It's great to be with you. We're going to be talking about the stimulus package tonight. Ryan Holds here with us, as is an actual expert, although he doesn't claim to be an expert, but we believe him to be one. His name is, and I'm going to, I apologize. I should have checked your name. Everybody that listens to this show knows I'm horrible with Ross Marchand. So we will be right back in just one moment. Warning. This show is for adults produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. Again, my name is Chris Spangle. It is great to have you here. We are continuing our series of nightly updates on everything that is happening with COVID-19. If you didn't get a chance to go back and listen to the last three nights, please do. Especially those first couple um, where we talked to some experts about the... uh, what the virus may be. And tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about the stimulus package. And uh, joining me as co-host tonight is Reinhold. Reinhold, how are you doing tonight? I am doing great. That is great to hear. And then that is great to hear. And then I apologize. I did not ask how to say Ross's last name. Ross, how do you say your last name? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think anyone else knows the answer to that question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you Mark Hand then. Oh, I like that. Okay, that's new. Not too many people have done that, but go ahead. How do you say it? I'm going to say it in the most pretentious way possible. Marchand. Marchand, okay. Yeah, okay. it kind of like rolls off the tongue. Marchand. So I, uh, that's like for you kids who want to be broadcasters someday, uh, and I am one of them, that's like rule 101. You ask the person's name, how you, you say it, ask their title, you, you verify that. We were just chit-chatting, and that was a, a fail on my part. So I apologize. And Ross is the director of policy for the Taxpayers Protection Alliance. He's an alumni of the Mercatus MA Fellowship and received his master's degree in economics from George Mason University. He's worked with FreedomWorks, ALEC, and the Lithuanian Free Market Institute. And he's appeared, his work has appeared, unlike Reinhold and mine, in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, the Denver Post, the Washington Examiner. He's been on C-SPAN, CGTN, The Blaze, and Stossel with Reason TV. So you're, you, you get around and you see, you sound like an expert, Ross. Oh, thank you. But that only to see, that's just a veneer, okay? <laughs> and if you guys ask the right sorts of questions, right, the Achilles heel of questions, you will throw me off my veneer. You will throw off the veneer. And well, I will be exposed for a, a masquerading fool. Well, let's do our best then, because I'd like to see you melt down on this program. That's Oh, it'll happen. All right. It'll happen. So let's start with what exactly is happening. So there, there seems to be three phases to this. The initial phase where they're funding for the disease. The second phase where they're uh, trying to, to push through some of the sick paid leave. And then the third phase, this trillion dollar stimulus so maybe the best way to break it down is just kind of give us some give us an understanding of the overall picture and then we'll dive into some of these pieces that are more controversial. So what exactly is happening and in, in Washington in regards to fighting this crisis? Well, the first thing you got to know is that inside the beltway everyone agrees as much as everyone can be said to agree. Right? Okay. But the, but what they disagree on um and you know, what they can't agree on, uh, like the correct order, for example, is how best to help people and what angle of the disease and the pandemic response, all the economic stuff, what angle to 
tackle first. Mm. So the first little like uh, like stab in the dark happened on March 6th, and President Trump signed this bill into law, and it was $8.3 billion, billion with a B. Um, and it basically said, we're going to create a slush fund for health and human services and health departments across the country, right? Across the 50 states. Um, basically, the idea is these health departments, they don't know what they're up against. They need a lot of flexibility. So we're just going to pump billions of dollars in uh, to help them out, whatever they need to do, whether it be testing, um, whatever, seeing patients, trying to scope out the area for potential infection risks or whatever, you name it, it's covered. And also there was a fund dedicated for the government to buy vaccines and, and maybe develop vaccines. So that was the first phase of things. So let's and stop, then, let's stop yeah, there and sure, kind of sure, pick sure. some of that apart and then we'll go to the sure. second phase. So sure. What what if if you're picking this slush fund and you're one of these agencies, like where does the money actually go? Is it going towards staffing? Are they funneling it to businesses that are helping do testing kits? Like if you if you pull from that eight point three billion dollar measure, how is that actually put onto the ground in actually fighting the crisis? Or do we know that? And then we'll look back in five years and go, look at how much we wasted. I wish I, the expert, could tell you guys that, but <laughs> I don't think anyone knows the answer to that question. Um, if you ask um, Beltway experts, if you ask uh, members of Congress or whatever, or even uh, health and human services bureaucrats, they'll probably all say the same thing. They'll say we need as much flexibility as possible in this difficult time. Um, but we don't know. Just talking about that phase one, we don't really know where that money is going. Um, they're trying to go all out to develop a vaccine, to develop a treatment. Um, but those are mainly private companies. Mm. And of course, like the FDA is going to get in away with that. And it's going to be a, a little bit of push and shove there. Um, but if the government thinks they could try to directly develop a vaccine, right, they have another thing coming entirely because right. they have a terrible, I don't, I'm preaching to the choir here, but they have a terrible track record in trying to develop things directly. Yeah. So, it, I mean, and Reinhold, feel free to jump in here, but it seems like in terms of developing anything other than bureaucracy, they don't have a they don't have a good track record. The CDC, for instance, you go, oh, well, they're the ones that will create the vaccine. But they're really just like a stat company, basically, like they're like FanDuel at this point, just gathering information. And then the FDA, they seem like oversight and regulatory red tape. So I'm not sure where exactly they're going to get the vaccine created it sounds like washington state university i believe and some of the hospitals there seem to be having some uh some luck with it so i i would i wonder if any of those like if the i'm sure the money has to go somewhere ross like some it has like here's my thing i know that it's probably all or mostly being wasted but there has to be some phony baloney good stuff going on right yeah, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. Okay. Um, whenever, whenever you have something like this, there does need to be a lot of uh, basic research because mm -hmm. there's a lot, I don't need to say this, but there's a lot about COVID-19 that we don't know about. Right. Um, I don't know about it. You don't know about it. Even Reinhold doesn't know about it. And if, and, <laughs> and if Reinhold doesn't know about it. He will pretend Ryan, that he does. Reinhold doesn't know about it. Hold on. What you, you, you know what you're talking about, right? So some of the money is going to Reinhold. Right. But, aside, yeah. but aside from that, that's why I'm having uh, a good day. He's having a good day. He has a smile well, on his face, right? He just well, bought a new shirt. You, you bought a new shirt. See, Ryan, what you don't know about Reinhold Ross is he's actually the person that created COVID-19 and sold it to Z in China. He is the one that engineered the bioweapon. In his mom's baby. That's right. right. Under keep it under the hat, <laughs> the tinfoil. So no, my so my question is is that so they they've done this bill and I don't know very many bills that come out of Washington that don't have earmarks in them. They don't have listings of the money can be used for these various things and still still give them flexibility, but but have some sort of parameters around it. Sure. Are there nothing like that in here? There, I mean, I'm surprised there wouldn't be any earmarks where senators are trying to get money into their districts, right, for certain things. Oh, uh, that's coming, but that's going to come with the, the biggest spending bill of all, which we'll yeah. get to. Uh, but the this one first trillion. phase, yeah, that's right. The one trillion, right? The mother load. Yeah, there's going to be yeah. a lot of unrelated stuff in that. And we'll go over that in a bit. But when you're talking about that $8.3 billion, mm -hmm. that phase one of the operation, the money is so, um, it's so flexible, right? Because you're basically just giving it to departments and saying, go run with it. Yeah, um, I you, have don't a, even I, need to, you don't even need to do earmarks. Right. I have a friend who works at the CDC. She's a listener. 
and they're working a ton of overtime, so maybe it goes to to pay for some of that. So, oh, of course, yeah, undoubtedly. What what is well, the? Well, they've been short staffed too, haven't they? I mean, yeah. the CDC's been kind of cut back a lot, so there's been some they're trying to ramp back up tech problems and reporting too. So the billion dollar, let me get to the billion dollar in loan subsidies for small businesses. What what in that first phase one? How do small businesses act access that? How can they get a hold of that if they're if they're hurting right now? A lot of that is touch and go. And, and by the way, there's going to be more money, more loan money and more grant money if you're a small business or a large business um, in some of these bigger bills down the road. Uh, but I think right now, small businesses are still trying to figure out how to get a hold of that money. And, um, and it's not just one side of the equation. I think the government bureaucrats are trying to figure out how to disperse it as quickly as possible, too. My understanding of some of the earlier attempts is there's so much flexibility in that if the businesses are struggling, they could set up some sort of process to quickly help them out, right? And get them and their workers back on their feet. But it's still a lot of touch and go, and they're trying to figure it out. Okay, so let's move on to stimulus phase two that was signed by Trump on Wednesday. Give us some details on that. Right, that, that's a paid family um, and sick leave provisions, right? So let's say, Reinhold, right, you're my boss. And let's say, you know, your company is hiring under 500 workers, right? So it's not, so Reinhold's operation is not, it's big, okay? But it's not all that big. And I came into contact with a COVID-19 person, or maybe worse yet, I have COVID-19 myself, right? So I'm directed by a health professional to stay home for the time being. This bill offers me an exit ramp off of work temporarily, and that I could get two-thirds of my salary for up to three months if I take advantage of this expanded federal paid leave. Now, who is footing the bill for that two-thirds of my salary for three months? Um, it's businesses at first because their payroll tax bills are waived for the cost of covering my leave. But a lot of the businesses, their payroll tax liability is just not going to be enough to cover my paid leave for three months. And that's where the government comes in. That's where taxpayers come in because they will foot the bill for the difference. So a lot so of that any- spending is government money. Is this an extension of the federal, uh, the FMLA, or is this a new thing that they're doing um, to enact this? I just know that they're piggybacking it on something that already exists. Yeah, my understanding is it's an expansion of that, mm-hmm. uh, like a major, a major expansion. Um, but the most revolutionary aspect of it, I don't mean, I mean like revolution in a bad way, not in a good way. Okay. I don't know what revolutionary tradition you guys adhere to, um, but the most revolutionary aspect of it is that there's a mandate for businesses um, who hire 500 workers or under to abide by this. Uh, Uh, And then the government is footing significant expenses to tide these workers over. Um, If they got that advice, they're staying at home, they're not working, and they get two-thirds salary for up to three months. So why is that remarkable that they're being mandated to do it? How is that different than maybe other, other things I might experience if I owned a small business? Um, Length of time. And circumstance. I mean, normally, if you're taking paid leave, you better have like a pretty narrow prescribed significant reason. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this in this case, it's someone just telling me, right? It could be a public health official telling me, um, hey, look, you went to CPAC, for example, right? You may have been exposed to someone probably better to stay home and quarantine rather than um, even a, a, a minute possibility of spreading it. Right. Um, and I get this, I get this very scant documentation. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't even matter if my workplace has already shifted to telework, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if I'm perfectly healthy and not exhibiting symptoms. Um, the mandate is still that I could take advantage of months of, of uh, getting most of my salary. Um, and, and you can understand why that's not normally the case. Yeah, so what is the net impact on the business owners? So if they're, if they're reducing the tax burden to, to, and that's how the business owner has to pay for it, or are they paying out of their pocket? Is it a burden on the small business owner or is it just kind of a net zero thing? Well, because it's being offset, the government is saying um, all your payroll tax expenses are going to be waived. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but I think that um, there's probably going to be a little bit of lag in terms of the business shelling out that expense and then getting federal reimbursements um, and especially covering the, the difference. Because if you're a business, right, and, and your payroll tax liability is like this much, but the paid leave liability is this much, um, you got to document that somehow and you need to get a bill from Uncle Sam to pay the difference. Um, so there's got to be a little bit of lag time there. Um, 
And businesses are probably going to, I mean, businesses are suffering mightily right now. They're probably going to have to foot a, a substantial bill right away. And then taxpayers are going to come in and tie them over. Which, Is let's, that- hold on, Reinhold, which sort of belies the point that these greedy business owners just hoarding stockpiles of cash, waiting to take you, separate you and your money. They're living on the high life while you are swa- just living in squalor. You know, as the son of a small business owner who does business consulting and works with a lot of small business owners, they're operating on thin margins a lot of times because they're trying to to grow a business. You have to invest in a business. And so payroll for a lot of business owners, much like our personal budgets, where a lot of us live paycheck to paycheck, so are small business owners. And so something like that where they're footing the bill for that leave, it's you know, it's not anybody's fault. It's just the cost of doing business. It's part of taking the risk of being a business owner. But this seems to be so catastrophic. But, yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if you have any insight on on that, where the idea of the, the business owner is just the greedy asshole who is keeping all the money, when in reality, a lot of these guys are going, like, I know my boss, I know my dad, I know the small business owners that I talk to, making payrolls their first and foremost concern, more than the, their own paycheck. I mean, I remember a lot of Christmases where my dad's like, I don't know how Christmas is going to go yet because I've got to pay my people first. And so uh, I think we're kind of giving, we're shedding off that idea that every business owner is just hoarding cash and they're laying people off right now because they're just jerks. Yeah, there's a few things going on right now, I think. Um, The first is there is that attitude and there's just a lack of understanding, right? More so than any other attitude, there's just a lack of understanding of how payroll works, right? What it takes to hire and retain workers. Another thing that's going on is you're a bureaucrat in Washington and, and you're probably old, right? Those guys are like super old, right? And, and you just you do not understand this idea that you could be perfectly healthy and you could telework for an extended period of time, right? Like what I'm doing right now, for example, and what most people I know are doing right now doesn't apply to everyone, but a lot of people are already teleworking all the time and you could have um, a fairly minor transition. And for those 30 million or so, um, 30 million Americans, um, it doesn't make any sense to offer this policy. It's just going to incentivize, it's going to motivate perfectly healthy people, 30 million perfectly healthy people uh, to get paid for no work. I mean, that's anti-stimulus. It doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Well, and, but the, but weren't they um, wanting to add in the small business loans uh, in order to try to help them make up that um, difference that they're going to get in, in the assistance? Yeah. And it's not just small business. And, and by the way, there, there's far more in terms of loans and assistance that's on the way in the mother load and the trillion dollar package. Um, but yeah, you're going to have a massive infusion coming from all angles um, geared towards businesses, big and small, um, small in particular through the small business administration. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so this also in, included free coronavirus testing, including for the uninsured. Uh, then also federal funds for Medicaid, food security programs like SNAP, and increased unemployment insurance benefits. Um, mm-hmm. So wh- what? how is the unemployment insurance benefits different than what, what we just talked about? Is this the idea of people paying in for an extended period of time, right? It's the states and the government are coming together, right? What could possibly go wrong? Um, so you're a worker, you're just a regular salaried employee. And for years, you're probably paying uh, federal and state unemployment insurance taxes. And that's going into a pool. And then once uh, you get laid off, you could access that money for a certain period of time. And there are certain work requirements. Maybe you just need to show that you're putting in effort to try to find work. Um, but that arrangement does not work for self-employed people. Mm. Right? And so many Americans are taking advantage of the gig economy. Um, that doesn't work. Now, there are these like narrow technical ways that self-employed people can get unemployment insurance benefits, but it's, you know, the government. It's, it's never easy. It's complicated. And it sets up a situation, and this is especially concerning libertarians, it sets up a situation where you're picking winners from losers. You're picking regular salaried employees and, and that um, and that part of the economy and you're picking them and you're giving them access to benefits that are not given to gig workers 
Yeah, and that's a real concern right now. I mean, I, I know so many consultants. I'm in the marketing, radio industry, entertainment industry, and a lot of those people are 1099 or their gig or they, they have clients. Like, you know, if you're if you have three clients and two of your clients are shed or you're losing 40% of your business and you're a small business owner who is self-employed, those people can't apply for, for anything because they don't have – a, a proper business they're you know they're not like a, a storefront type business and and it's tough because some of those people do make significant income and or they make let's say they make eighty thousand dollars and they're not going to qualify for the for the cutoffs in the next phase that we're going to talk about and the crazy part about picking winners and losers is that you know we're all concerned and we hear and we talked about it in our first COVID episode um recently the economically disadvantaged are going to be very hard hit by this. And nobody's making light of that because the reality is the, the bars and restaurants being shut down for possibly two months. That's an incredibly hard hit on people who are living on very thin margins. Um, sure. But there are also a lot of people who are making $80,000 a year, putting a lot of money into the economy, living on thin margins themselves. And mm -hmm. they're now looking at it going, okay, I'm not getting any of the, the economic stimulus and I put a lot more money back into the economy. So if it's about actually stimulating the economy, so I, I don't know this idea of picking winners and losers. It's been a part of any type of central planning, but especially through the 2008 recovery when Barack Obama was president and, and, and maybe you can shed some light on, on some of that before we jump into phase three, because I think 2008 and that crisis and what we did during that period with cash for clunkers and QE2 and some of these other things that we're, we've talked about, what is the track record of this type of stimulus? Because I always hear, oh, it was horrible. I hear it worked really well. Like, do you have any insight on the Obama era stimuluses and how that, that actually worked out? Yeah, there were two problems, right? And two big aspects that landed the U.S. in a lot of trouble and resulted in one of the slowest recoveries since World War II. The first thing was stuff like cash for clunkers, focusing on these very narrow, intricate interventions where the bureaucrats were like, we know exactly what's going on. We, we could totally rig the economic system and produce just the right sorts of behaviors and incentives and make things work out. That didn't work out at all. Um, and the second thing is, they just put in such sheer amounts of money into the economy, not really knowing where it was going and not realizing it was subject to all these political incentives. Uh, so one really good example, they just put all money, all sorts of money, all sorts of resources um, into the roads across the country. And they said, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Famous last words. Um, so it basically got taken and, and given to states that have the best funded infrastructure systems. Um, and then places that had the worst roads. So a really good example of a place with a completely dysfunctional transportation system, rural Mississippi, like Mississippi Delta, they don't even have roads, right? It's like, like dirt indentations. They didn't get any money whatsoever. It's politics. It's public choice. You have to blame the system. But if you're naive to the system, and you don't understand how it works and you just drop helicopter money in from all sources, it's not going to work out and it's going to produce a really slow recovery. Hopefully we're going to learn our lesson, but we have to see it. <laughs> oh Ross, you're so cute when you dream. Um, yeah, that and and those things were debated over a period of weeks and months. And this seems to be moving. Like, listen, eight that phase one, eight point three billion. Like, we spend that an hour. It seems like, like, okay, all right, give the kids overtime at the at the CDC, whatever. Hundred billion dollars. Oh man, that seems like a lot. Now we're talking about phase three with one trillion dollars. Like we're just getting to monopoly money at this point. Like, so what? What is being proposed in this third round? It, and they're trying to move at lightning speed. I mean, I, they're giving no thought to it whatsoever. So uh, there goes your idea of, uh, you know. But tell us about round three yeah, and what's being debated right now. The big crux of this round three, of this trillion dollar package is we're going to just directly pay individuals and families. So forget about trying to, things like cash or clunkers, right? Just so sort of we're going to stimulate this narrow part of the economy. Let's just give money all out to individuals and families. We're going to have maximum amounts, right? Depending on how much you're making, 
and how big your family is. And it's going to phase out over a certain period of time. So at the very least, Mitt Romney is not getting money. I mean, hopefully not. Mm-hmm. Details are changing by the minute. You know, hopefully Warren Buffett isn't getting any money. Um, but that's the idea, right? It's means tested. It depends on income. It depends on family size. We're just going to drop a boatload of money on individuals and families. What, what are some of the numbers that are being discussed around that? For individuals, $1,200. If you're married, filing jointly, $2,400. Um, at least for individuals, that, that cap, it caps out at um, $75,000, and then there's some sort of like phase-out schedule beyond that. Wait a minute. Um, somebody just, somebody out yeah. there is going to get seventy five grand from the federal government? No, 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 no. Um, oh, their income 1200, is $1,200. Yeah, sorry. Let me, I was let like, me how do sure I adopt some correctly. kids no. quickly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes back to that, right? Yeah, give me the 75000 right. You don't have to give anyone else the 75000 Just give me the right. 75000 1200 for an individual making up to $75,000. And then it, I think it phases out from there. And the threshold is higher for families. For each additional kid that you're popping out, you add $500 to that payment. Reinhold, can I, will you be my child? <laughs> Ross, you, you, you look like a nice <laughs> you boy. Put together a, a, can you adopt a, me? I, I have chubby so, cheeks. I'm cute. I do often um, say that the listeners, right the listeners are my children. Yeah, the listeners are my children. And so I'm counting thousands of you as my children on this stimulus bill here. Uh, my, my question, and this is something that came up when I saw some people discussing this. And I don't think I have a good answer for it. Mm-hmm. What they're, they're basing this off of, of income. Is it based off of income from last year or is it based off income right now? Because a lot of people are just out of work. So they're going to get hit by what their income was last year on this, on getting this stimulus money or right. I mean, yeah, my understanding is that it is going to be based on last year's income. It's backward right. looking. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's a major limitation. Now the idea is that let's say you were doing really well and then all of a sudden um, you lost your job. That's where the unemployment insurance kicks in. Um, what I would say though, is that we have systems in place, food stamps, for example. Let's say you need quick approval on food stamps. Um, the government takes maybe a week or maybe a little bit less to look at your eligibility, and they look at your most recent paychecks. So I could only hope that they use that instead of looking at last year's income. Um, because the more backwards you're looking, the more people you're going to leave out. Okay, so then some small business loans again and uh we'll yeah, get to the bailouts but, but yeah small business loans like how do how to i mean how does that done like is it just you know my dad runs a business with my brother and and a couple other people and so that it's just based on their need or have they t- discussed how they would actually dole that out to small businesses yeah i'm sure it's based on incorporation number one um and pretty much it's um, you, you just, you get the money, right? And it's presumably interest-free from what I've been hearing, right? Uh, and don't trust this expert, right? It's just, it's a veneer, right? It's all a veneer. You guys haven't ripped up the veneer yet. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, based on what I'm hearing, many people are saying, as our president would say, <laughs> um, that you're getting like pretty much unconditional interest-free loans. But those loans can turn into grants, can turn into permanent money instead of money you have to pay back um, if you don't lay off any workers. Okay. The devil is going to be in the details, a lot of mechanics that people are going to have to talk through. This is still being worked out, of course, but that's the general gist of it. So are they negotiating behind closed doors and then leaking this to the press and then they expect to pass something in like the next week? Or what's the timetable on this and kind of where are they at in the process? I think they're looking for action next week. They're trying to pass it next week. Um, Smoke-filled rooms are probably being replaced by smoke-filled Zoom rooms, Zoom conference <laughs> rooms, or maybe even Skype. I don't know. I, I totally stole that joke from someone on Twitter. I just saw them tweet it out like an hour ago or something. Um, so the details are in flux. Um, I believe Republicans uh, just a couple hours ago released their own version of the plan. That's where I'm getting the, the $1,200 and the $2,400 individual payments from. Um, and there's so many provisions. Um, but the mechanics of it. So for example, these, these questions about small business interest loans, this is going to be have to, this is going to have to be worked out as people, lawmakers deliberate over all of these details. And I wonder too, if some of this stuff is going to be identified as technically income and then people are going to, at the end of the year, when they go do their taxes, they're going to have to pay on it. Cause that's happened yeah. before where they've given stimulate. If I remember right, Bush gave out 250, was it? 
Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of some money. And then we ended up having to pay back on that because it was considered income. Right. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was and, like, and, and, I was like 22 and, and I was like, wait a minute. These Republicans are liars too. <laughs> so mad. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe the idea is, you know, we're giving you money now, but by the time the taxes on the money come due, guess what? You're not going to be struggling anymore. Maybe this nasty little COVID virus is gone. And then guess what? Uncle Sam is like taxes. Give me the money. Right. Yeah. We're going to have to give that money back. This is so, yeah, this is our money. We've already given, they're giving it back to us. Only we haven't given it because there's no money there. This is like spending it without. Yeah. This is like when OJ went to jail for stealing his own stuff. Like we're still, we're getting our own stolen money back and then they're going to, they're going to tax us on it. So going back to picking winners and losers, there's 50 billion uh, for the airlines and 150 for other industries like hotels, casinos, cruise lines, operators, um, shopping mall operators, like you name it. Well, yeah. Like why is it just because these are well-connected industries? How do I get listed? How about podcasters? Libertarian podcasters don't do well. Jason Stapleton and I need money. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to provide a libertarian um, conditional defense of there some of these go. industries getting money. Okay. Are you guys ready for that? Uh, are, you, are, you, are you ready for the hatred from our audience? Go ahead. I can't wait. I'm, I'm ready for all the screeching, all the screeching all in the right. world. So you take the airlines, for example. Now, a lot of what the airlines can do and cannot do is dictated right now, especially by government mandate. So they have all these travel restrictions. We close the border with Canada. Um, Coming from, if you're European, you're trying to come to the U.S., forget about it. Restrictions by governments, including the U.S., all across the board. As a result, airlines' private property that that they're using to try to provide a service to customers with is being taken, regulatorily speaking, by governments. Governments are stricting it. And there is a rich tradition of compensation for takings in the U.S. Constitution. If the government takes away your private property or restricts it via fiat or regulation, compensation could be seen as justifiable. You know what, Reinhold? I think he did it. That was that was like eminent domain. If I'm going to take your house, i got to give you something. I... I that totally makes sense from a libertarian perspective. What do you think, Reinhold? Right. Oh, I agree. And it's something we kind of talked well, of about course a little you bit do too, statist. where, where, um, so we're kind of, we're, we have this idea of what it should be as libertarians. This is how the system should be set up, but that's not the system we live in. And a lot of these industries that are having problems right now because of what's going on are because of, the existing conditions that they were under because of government to begin with. So they're trying to relax mm-hmm. a lot of that and they're trying to make it right. If, if that system hadn't been there and if a good, better system had been there, then a lot of this stuff would have been flexible and band and like a rubber band, we'd be able to snap and re- react right to it. Uh, but because of the rigidity of the government, that's causing all of this issue. So it's up to the government to kind of take care of fixing that. Right. Yeah, Cause I, to make them yeah, whole yeah, as it were. Right. Right. And you have to be careful with that rationale because you could use it in the extreme oh. to give any sort, any amount of money to any sort of industry because what industries aren't regulated, what industries aren't restricted. I would just argue because of the, the sheer magnitude of all these regulations and, and the seriousness of this very intense event, I think it's warranted. And, and the good thing is, is that we're, we're very visibly identifying how that government um, interaction ahead of this caused this problem. So maybe we can have a better conversation once we get past this and say, let's not put them back. Let's not keep holding, you know, and clamping down on in the industry to be able to re- handle and react to these things. Oh, and yeah. hopefully out of this, we can, we can get a better society. Yes. And there's already a list of needless rules that are going away temporarily. We can hope they're going away forever, but yeah, doesn't it really? Probably, probably does, temporary. Yeah, it really highlights how many regulations and things we don't need. When oh, let's just get rid of these to make things operate quickly and efficiently. Yeah, like doctors making their own hand sanitizer. I mean, <laughs> I don't know about you. Don't you guys trust doctors to make hand sanitizer? Yeah, that's, well, I, I, I'd that's, rather have the doctor deciding my medical care than politicians, right? So that's why I don't want the government involved in medical care at all. I'd want this all done privately, just because. I want to be able to say, no, I disagree with you and go somewhere else and get treatment. I think I need instead of having the government telling every single doctor that this is how you have to treat things 
and you have no choice, right? Yeah. Keep the oh, government, absolutely. keep politics out of that decision. Right. And if you have some medical training, you should absolutely be given the green light to treat patients right now. All these stupid nurse practitioner laws, I'm sure you guys know all about that and how the government just comes in, especially at the state and local level. And they say, oh, yeah, you've only received X amount. You've only received four years of medical training. Therefore, you can't give a diagnosis. You can't prescribe medication. I mean, come on. All these rules are going to have to be relaxed. A lot of them, to government's rare credit, are being relaxed. We can only hope, though, that it's permanent and not temporary. So on some of these bailouts in the Recovery Act, uh, a lot of those, that, that, that bailout money wasn't actually used. It was $900 billion in the 2008 financial crisis. And uh, a lot of that wasn't spent, or far less than $900 billion was actually spent, Axios notes. And a lot of these companies had to pay a lot of that back. Is that on the table for some of these airline industries, or are they talking about just giving them, giving them the free money, quote-unquote? I think when it comes to some of these industries, um, it's probably just, realistically speaking, it's probably just going to be a check, which could be justifiable, again, because of the regulatory takings. Um, but realistically speaking, a lot of the money, just going to businesses in general, not just airlines, not just um, hospitality businesses, but also the small businesses, it's probably going to wind up being permanent. I wonder if uh, there, I mean, I'm just spitballing here, but I wonder if there's going to be like strings attached to this money. And I, I heard Bernie Sanders say something like, if we give you money in a bailout, then the public should own part of your company. But he's not a socialist in the in the way that you like a Venezuelan socialist. So just be calm. I mean, so I, what kind of strings have been attached? Have you looked into any of the strings that might be attached to the money? Or is it still too early? This is what the Treasury Secretary was talking about just a few hours ago. I think he was on Fox Business, and he was saying how if you're a small business, for example, and you're getting an interest-free loan, and you take that money and you use it to retain all of your workers, that loan can become permanent and you don't need to pay that money back. So that is a model the government is definitely looking into right now where the loan can become permanent as long as you keep your workers on payroll. Um, so I think that is probably the biggest uh, single string that's going to be attached. Okay, interesting. All right, so let's let's just take this in its totality and look at it from the meta perspective, from the libertarian perspective, now that we've got a lot of the details. Let's get ethereal. Yes. What what effect do you think that this will have? And I'm going to ask the, let's see, what was your very impressive and uh, uh, very credentialed title? You are like the policy director of the tax, what is it, Taxpayers Alliance? Taxpayers Protection Alliance. Yes, Taxpayers Protection Alliance. No apostrophe. Don't put the apostrophe Anywhere near the S. All right. I'm sorry, Ross. Okay. You, you inflected a, an apostrophe. It's not, it's it. not your fault. I didn't appreciate it. Listen, your anger is justified at an unprepared host who has apparently thrown away his paper before he should have. Um, <laughs> so uh, let me get, just get that so I don't uh, become a bad host again. Um, okay. So just so, I mean, I'm asking the director of policy for the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, but... Uh, what effect do you think this will have on the economy? Will it work? And what are we supposed to think of something like this? I think the single biggest impact is people are going to start realizing, why do we need all these rules, especially with the healthcare sector? Why are all these rules pulling us back? And why are bureaucrats across the country, federal, state, and local, telling us what to do and how to live our lives? Um, in terms of the debt, in terms of all of the spending, it's going to be tough, and taxpayers are absolutely going to foot the bill for generations to come. But I think that this is, you're, you're going to say this is really cute. I'm going to say, cautiously optimistic, this is going to be a sign that you need to prudently manage your finances and save up in the good years so you have a little bit of a rainy day fund. Because if anything warrants a rainy day fund, it's something like this. Not well, too many other things, but this. I think this is a great time for people to understand. So libertarians are very bent out of shape about what we've been talking about, and I am too, and I totally get it. But I think it's a great time for us libertarians to go out and make the point. If you are depending on the government to save your life, they can't get tests right. And if you're depending on the government to give you money in a crisis, then the best they can come up with is $1,200. And so maybe you should take some personal responsibility, make sure that you're prepared because they're never going to be prepared and they can't really do anything for you effectively. Right. 
I mean, that's, day, that's the lesson. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the lesson that was learned after the Depression, right? So everybody who went through the Depression and came out of it, you if you talk to them, they would hoard money. They would they would just be nickel and diming every little thing. My parents are like that, too. My parents grew up. They, um, My dad made far less than I make right now, and he was able to uh, have his wife stay home and take care of five kids, right? And he made it work. And you think about that now, the people today are just like, let's just spend on this, spend on that. We got money going out for all of these, uh, you know, Netflixes and Hulus and everything else. I mean, just money going everywhere, phones, all that stuff. And nobody's saving. The incentive for saving in this country is gone because the interest rates have been so low for so long. So everybody just puts all their money into the market, which we see what happens to that uh, anytime there's a crisis. So there's got to be some, I think a lot of people are going to learn from this to say, okay, I'm going to be protecting myself from any of this stuff in the, in the future. And I think it's a good lesson for each generation to learn somehow. I just wish it didn't, you know, it didn't take something like this to learn that. But a lot of times that's what happens is you have to go through that. And, and as far as the money we're spending, it's kind of a drip in the bucket compared to what our national debt is right now. I mean, yeah, I'm not happy about it. And I think we should have that conversation and what we're going to do about it. But my main issue that isn't getting going to, it isn't getting brought up now, but I really hope the conversation gets taken uh, in the future by somebody to say, we need to make sure our economy is in a much better, not everybody thinks we had a great economy right before this, but I don't think we really did. I think there's a lot of cracks. There's a lot of things going on. Interest rates were too low. I'd rather see a nice, healthy economy where we can respond appropriately to this stuff without breaking a bank or putting us in so much debt that people are going to be paying for this for the next three generations. Right. Be responsible and also work together. Now working Mm -hmm. together, it it sounds communist, but we can all do it voluntarily. Right. And a lot of people are showing consideration for their neighbors by voluntarily taking steps to withdraw. So you have the individual and the collective, but a lot of stuff is happening because people are working together and practicing consideration of their neighbors Um, the government is telling them what to do, but it's largely in a lot of cases after the fact. So a lot of it, a lot of it is showing the power of people to, to do things without the government necessarily telling them what to do. No, I think this is a great time to highlight the, the thing that, that when you, when you say, oh, libertarian society can work or libertarian principles can work, you always get, well, what if there's a pandemic and now we have a pandemic and we get to say, in a pandemic, the NBA, the NCAA, bars, restaurants, people all made the rational self-interested choice for the, both the good of their community, the good of their family, the good of themselves, and they started closing things down. Yes, there were some bad actors who were maybe willfully ignorant or hadn't caught up yet. Um, spring break. Ooh. Right, down at the spring break. And even in the libertarian society, you're going to have that in a, in a society with a lot of government, a little government, you're going to have that. But at the end of the day, the majority of the society and private industry said, we have an actual crisis. So I at, at Tesla and GM and Ford, I'm going to turn my plant into a respirator plant. I'm going to do what's good for the community. And I'm going to walk away from billions of revenue with my NCAA tournament because it's what's right for people. And so, the, the reality that the government is necessary to really regulate behavior in bad times is, is just shown to be false in most cases and can actually be harmful in the case of testing, for instance. Where in South Korea, early on, they had a ton of tests. They were testing all the time, making people wear masks, lots of forehead testing. We should have done that weeks ago. And we didn't do it because our president 21 days ago called this a hoax and was trying to get people to ignore that this was a problem so it wouldn't ruin his economy. You know, and so the government and here in Indiana, like they've been absolutely abominable in dealing with this. And so government has failed at every single one of these levels where the real leadership, like if you look back at 9-11, you remember those big speeches by George Bush, you go, that's leadership. Man, he's really leading us through this crisis. Even Democrats will say that. Who are the big leaders through this crisis so far? It's private industry stepping up and saying, I'm going to do what hurts my bottom line but helps the public. And so I think that is that is a, a, an opportunity for libertarians to make the case that Government doesn't always lead and usually leads us to, towards bad places in some of the most extreme times. 
And so let's just start being leaders of ourselves and we can get there. So I think this is a great time for libertarians to kind of make that case and go, why are we going to do more of it? Because we're in a fragile situation where we could lose a lot of liberties. We made a lot of really bad choices after 9-11 because we were scared. And you look at the Iraq war, PRISM, and all the stuff that Edward Snowden, uh, 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 you know, and the track record of that time period is just so bad. So, um, Ross, I I thank you for your time, and I want to give you an opportunity just to say, like, one final thing to the audience, kind of one thing to think about, and then end with telling people how they can follow you and get a hold of you. Absolutely. Well, first of all, uh, stay healthy, stay safe. And most importantly, stay sane um, and focus and focus on the good news of people voluntarily coming together and using reason right, and using the power of markets and choice to overcome this. Right. And, and for example, right, every day you could go on Twitter, you go on Facebook, what, TikTok, that's your, it's not my thing. TikTok is your thing. And see beautiful instances of people helping out other people. Continue to focus on that. And on the policy level, if you want to be boring and nerd out with me and our team at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, please visit our website, protectingtaxpayers.org. And I've said my piece. All right. Well, we will definitely link that. We'll link your, uh, I assume you have a Twitter? I do. At Ross A. Monchant. M-A-R-C-H. A-N-D. And uh, we'll put that all in the show notes, too, so you can go follow them. Ross Marchand, it was so so great having you on the show, and uh, this was really helpful information. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. All right. And I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to talk about something else. I'm going to kick you out. So it's nothing personal, okay? All offense taken. All right. (laughs) It was great to talk to you. (laughs) Thanks so much, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Yeah. So it is, uh, Man, we never learn our lesson, do we, Reinhold? <laughs> Just get schooled by the people who know what they're talking about. Uh, so w- we had a great conversation about some of the economics, but I want to end with talking about something that's very personal to Reinhold and became very uh, scary to me today uh, as – uh, we're going to play an interview in just a moment with uh, with the head of the American Cross here in Indiana. Um. There is an enormous blood shortage in this country because we were already running low. And then with COVID-19 and the quarantines, over 4,000 blood drives have been canceled across the country. And that is an incredibly scary prospect, especially heading into a time where there's going to be a a tremendous amount of medical need. And I'm going to leave it up to Reinhold here to explain the importance of donating blood on a personal level, just from his experience. Uh, you know, Reinhold, why is donating blood so important? Well, it's important because blood is life to people. Blood is life to people who uh, are in, in accidents or in serious situations where they need to have that. I mean, uh, my wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, stage four ovarian cancer back in um, seven years ago. Right. And she was given, two years to live uh, if she did chemo and she's made a great recovery from that, but it has been a toll on her. And part of that toll was that she had to go through a lot of different um, blood and transfusions, not, not so much transfusions, but just infusion of blood because she had lost a lot during the surgeries and things like that. And then part of the chemo um, took away some lining in her stomach, she got a bleeding ulcer. So now she has to take medicine. We found that out because she was bleeding through her stomach and she almost died from that. She almost died from lack of blood. So we got her to the hospital. They were able to give her four or five pints of blood, get her back stable again. So uh, if that blood hadn't been there, you know, she would not have survived. And recently she was in a car accident. It was a very serious one. She was lifelined to, um, Methodist hospital and they did an amazing job on her, but they had to give her seven pints of blood uh, because she had lost so much. She had damaged her leg really badly and she was bleeding almost pretty much bleeding out. They got her there just in time uh, to save her life. And now she's making a recovery from that. And if it hadn't been for this, the blood that was in the, the blood banks to take care of that, she wouldn't have been able to do that. And that's, what's going to happen uh, with the blood. There's always been a blood shortage because people just don't, go out and give as much as, as we really should. Um, and it's just getting worse right now because, you know, a lot of times these 
blood drives go to businesses and the businesses are closed. The people aren't there. So they don't have the blood drives there anymore because that's how Schools, people would do it. Schools, colleges, yeah. right? So now we've got to make the, make the extra effort, the extra conscious effort to go and do this um, just to help out. Um, and, and it's something you can do. And it's, it's very safe. They're taking temperatures of anybody who comes in there. They're wearing gloves or spacing out the, the, um, the places where you give the blood so that there's appropriate spacing. So we can do that social spacing thing. And then um, really doing a good job, making sure nothing happens as far as the virus goes. And, and of course it's not, it doesn't get transferred by the blood transfusion. So that's going to be safe blood for them. So it's just something I think that we really should, that probably gets lost in all of this conversation is what we talk about, what the impact is going to be on the health industry. But uh, this is one of those impacts that don't, uh, that, that may not be as obvious right away, but it's a very, very important one. All right. Without further ado, I host a radio show here in Indianapolis, our public affairs show on the iHeart Indianapolis radio stations. And so this interview is with Chad Priest on that program. He is the CEO of American Red Cross in Indiana, and he talks about blood shortages. So uh, let's take a listen to this. And today my guest is Chad Priest, who is the chief executive officer of Red Cross Indiana. And uh, they have a message for all of us. They are experiencing a blood shortage. So, Chad Priest, thank you so much for joining me. Chris, thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. So, first off, what is the website that everybody should uh, continue to monitor if they want information and updates from Red Cross? Uh, It's very easy. Redcross.org will get you news, information, give you a, a portal to donate blood, schedule a blood donation appointment. Um, or to donate funds, as well as to volunteer, redcross.org. So what is happening right now with uh, blood donations, and why why are we speaking today? Chris, we've seen uh, since the COVID-19 uh, pandemic uh, began, at least uh, acutely in the United States, so think back 20 days or so, less than that even, we've had 4,000 blood drives canceled in the United States. Uh, that is a result of businesses and schools closing. And, and you know, a lot of people may not realize so many of our uh, blood donations come from schools, colleges, high schools, as well as companies. So those have closed. We've had 4,000 cancellations. That's led to us losing over 100,000 units of blood. And that's just the numbers uh, where they stand now. Every day that is compounding. In Indiana alone, uh, uh, midweek at 150 drives canceled with over 5,000 units lost. The cancellations are coming so quickly, it's very difficult for us to keep track of them. So it's a, it's a severe shortage we're finding ourselves in. Our projections are that this shortage will exponentially grow in the coming days and weeks. So what impact on hospitals and, and patients does that kind of shortage have? Well, it, it, it's for a long, long, long time, scientists have been trying to figure out a way to replace human blood with something synthetic, and it just can't happen. The only way to replace human blood is with other human blood. So without it, there are going to be a lot of people who we are at risk of not giving them what they need. So think, for example, of uh, we've all had someone in our lives impacted by cancer. Uh, Transfusion medicine uh, is a key focus of a lot of cancer care. Uh, We uh, know that in trauma, motor vehicle accidents, things like that, there's a need. Surgical procedures, the list goes on and on. Blood products are an essential component of modern American medicine, and without them, we could see a lot of people becoming very ill or sick, at maybe even uh, much more so than through the COVID-19 pandemic itself. In other areas, I know the Red Cross is a global organization. How have we seen uh, the Red Cross deal with this blood shortage in places like Italy and other places where you operate? Uh, You're right. The Red Cross is a movement, a global movement. I can't speak to the specific blood challenges in every country. Not every country uh, does the Red Cross collect blood, so our services do vary from place to place. But but I think we should all be feeling very good about the fact that our Red Cross global movement is fully mobilized, because it's not just blood. Here in in Indiana, for example, uh, the Red Cross is mobilizing our disaster workforce it's going to take a lot of lift for us to be able to continue to provide the disaster services that Hoosiers rely on every day. We're entering into the spring tornado and flood season. 
Uh, that's a very active time in Indiana, and we're having to make dramatic changes and modifications to our systems to ensure that we don't degrade those services. Uh, we continue to serve military members and their families every single day. Those services can't stop. So our Red Cross, with about 138 years of Clara Barton's DNA, literally in our veins, uh, we're fully mobilized. But this is going to be an unprecedented effort uh, by the American Red Cross and all of the Red Cross societies around the globe. Talking to Chad Priest, who is the CEO of the Red Cross of Indiana. Their website is redcross.org. So how are you trying to meet those challenges? I mean, it's hard to get people out to volunteer. Um, so so what does that look like for you? How do you do these prep in a time of quarantines? Well, one of the things we're, we're reminding folks is that it's so critical that we are applying good social physical distancing. This is such an important feature of our overall epidemic control, and we're relying on our public health partners to guide us in those efforts. But that social distancing cannot mean social disengagement. Now more than ever, neighbors and community members have to resolve to look after one another. We offer a few ways to do that. We've partnered with the state of Indiana, the Family and Social Services Administration, uh, to offer psychological first aid training uh, for mental health workers and others. Uh, we've had over 1,500 people sign up for that training just in the last few days, and we're going to be making additional training available. We're also asking neighbors to do very simple things, like check on one another. It seems, it seems silly, but, you know, a lot of us don't know the name and phone number of the person that's right next door to us, even though we could get in our house and Skype with someone half a world away. We can't overemphasize the importance of staying connected. We are going to have to lean on each other for help. Uh, and then, of course, we need volunteers, and even if you're home uh, and unable to leave, we are able uh, to get you trained to volunteer through online training and online courses, and you can sign up at redcross.org, and we need you now. A lot of our volunteers are in the 60 to 65 age group, and we know many of them will have increased restrictions on movement and et cetera. So now is the time to broaden our appeal for volunteers as well. So if you're working in a virtual situation to volunteer for the Red Cross, what are some of the things that you would be doing? Well, we start everyone out with training. You know, unlike a lot of volunteer opportunities, uh, at the Red Cross, volunteers are 97% are of our workforce. So volunteers do everything in our organization, and that requires some really intentional training up front. Almost all of our training is either already virtual, web-based. Where it's not, we're making modifications to offer that training through teledistance. Once trained, we've got opportunities that range from helping us secure and locate blood drives, helping us staff those blood drives, um, uh, helping us prepare for disasters, responding to disasters. We do a lot of telecase work, and, of course, our service to armed forces work is always remote. So there are a lot of opportunities to do a lot of good right from where you may be sitting. So when you have these blood drives, what measures are you taking to make sure that everybody involved is safe? The first thing that's important to note is that it is perfectly safe to get and receive blood because COVID-19 and, in fact, any respiratory virus cannot be transmitted via blood. So the blood supply itself is safe, and there's no more risk to donate blood than anything else. We're taking some extraordinary efforts at our drives, including temperature screenings at the door. We've increased social distancing uh, in our operations so that our beds are farther apart. Uh, we, we are avoiding or eliminating any sort of cues or waiting we can do that in a number of ways, depending on the physical building itself, limiting it to no more than six people in any given space. And, of course, our phlebotomists and technicians are some of the best in the country. They're extraordinary healthcare providers. You'll see them applying uh, best-in-class evidence-based use of personal protective equipment, wiping down services, uh, surfaces, et cetera. So final question to Chad Priest, who is the CEO of the Red Cross of Indiana. In your work every day, what is the one thing that you wish everybody listening could see or understand that you're, you're just going, this is obvious? I wish everyone would stay home. Uh, some of us have to be out for our work, healthcare workers, humanitarian workers. Uh, I'm, I'm out today, and what I'm seeing uh, it concerns me. We need to listen to the advice of public health authorities and our government officials and remain home. I am confident uh, that Hoosiers will be able to not only survive this epidemic, but thrive through it. But we have to start by making decisions that are in the best interest of everyone. Stay home. Check on your neighbor. Find a way to be socially engaged. So go to redcross.org, donate your blood, uh, donate funds if you can, register to volunteer, uh, and don't give up. 
stayed the course. I think that's the message we all need to be sending each other and know that your Red Cross is standing beside you. All right, Chad Priest, that website again is redcross.org. If you are home and you don't have much going on, please hit up the Red Cross, help organize with them. Thank you for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website at nowhearthisindy.com. We'd ask that you continue to share our uh, information here, as always, but in this time especially. Um, If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact us on the contact page on our website. And thank you so much for listening, and we will be back again soon with Now Hear This. What a great show. Man. Smart host. Uh, You can listen to more of those interviews and Now Hear This if you go to nowhearthisindy.com. If you want to check out some of my coverage uh, uh, here, not just in the Indianapolis area, but if you're a We Are Libertarians listener, I'm going to repurpose some of that for these nightly TV shows uh, or radio shows. Depending on how you're listening to, uh, to it, we feel that it's important to continue to bring you as much good information as possible because this is just a... This is the craziest thing I've ever lived through. I mean, there isn't the the oldest people that I know, the youngest people that I know. I mean, it's just everybody in between cannot think of a time where it was even this close in terms of just uh, craziness. I mean, 9-11 is the only thing that comes close in my lifetime, and it was such a tremendous shock. Uh, And I think a shock in the same way in that when I, I was just turning 18 and... You know, I'd grown up in America, and it always felt safe. And that was the first time when I was like, oh, people can get us. They can come here. Uh, and it just shook my idea of security and living in a country that was totally secure and safe. And I guess I just took that sense of security for granted. And, you know, terrorism was just always something that happened to those people, to other people around the world. And I think this is sort of the, a, a, a similar thing because I don't think there's a millennial alive that has walked into a grocery store and hasn't gotten what they wanted when they wanted if they had enough money. You know what I mean? I just think that I've never walked into a grocery store and there's not been food. You know, we're a week out and the, the shelves are still empty in a lot of places. The Boss Hog of Liberty sent me a photo of the Marion... Uh, Walmart or the the Muncie Walmart and it, it's still just completely bare. So that it, it's crazy for that reason. It's it, it shakes that sense of economic security, of food security, of emotional security, of health security. You know, pandemics and outbreaks or things that happen in Africa with Ebola or India. The things are you read about in other places, not here. You know, this is America. We are always going to have abundance. We are always going to have good health. We have great healthcare systems. Uh, I just think this is uh, a, a moment when we are having some of that security shaken in the same way that we had it on 9-11 shaken. Only this is going to be a rolling 9-11. This is going to be a, a months-long event that we're talking about. So for the foreseeable future, um, for at least the next week, we're going to continue to do these nightly shows just to... Try and stay on top of of things as they change constantly. Everybody's kind of sitting in their house wondering what's going on, and we're here to do that. And we've got everybody's just piling on on this thing, volunteering their time. And and I appreciate Hody, and I appreciate Sam Schultz, and Reinhold, and and everybody that's really pitching in. I'm not going to be able to mention everybody's name. Uh, I do want to mention Ed Brehob, Craig DaCosta, Christy Avery, Jason Doolittle, Jeff Bennett, Matthew Durbin. Our $100 a month patrons, you guys are uh, great friends. And I want to thank Reinhold, because Reinhold gives a lot of time and a lot of energy. And you don't realize it until like you sit down, and I, I hand wrote out to our patrons Christmas cards to everybody. You know, and you, you kind of have an idea of who's a patron. But it hit me, you know, people like Ryan Lindsay and Hody and Reinhold, these are... These are guys who give a ton of time to this network, and they're $25 a month subscribers, right? You know, Some of our most active people that you hear on this show all the time are, are contributors. And Reinhold upped his, um, after this last episode this last Tuesday, up from $25 to $100 uh, a month. And so, 
you know, I really appreciate that. I appreciate Ryan Holden, all that he gives in terms of time and energy and insight. And we're so glad to have him come up to the $100 a month tier. And it really means a lot from him. Uh, and really everybody that just gives to this network, uh, the new hosts, the old hosts, the volunteers, just the friends who hang out in the chats or the discords and, and everybody that talks with us, it really means a lot. And I think going into something like this, people who are involved in the communities and we are libertarians are not as lonely because we already have those friendships built. And so if you'd like to join our communities, go to wearelibertarians.com and go to the Facebook groups or the discord and make a few new friends and chit chat with them. I mean, we're, we're, we've got in the discord, some COVID link sections and on the Facebook group, we've got a, a pinned article with COVID links. So a bunch of listeners and hosts and, and prep people were all just funneling links in there. And then we've got some rolling prep docs too. So tons of information in between even these daily shows that you can keep up on and follow me on Twitter. I'm tweeting out a lot of stuff too. So thank you everyone for listening. We really do appreciate the time. We really appreciate your attention. I know that everybody in the world is out there doing a show like this. And uh, we appreciate if you're one of those people watching or listening and tomorrow night, Friday night, since you can't go to a bar with your friends, we're going to do a virtual Liberty and Chill. Um, I've asked Harry and Paul like five times that they're doing it, so I assume they're doing it because why would they let you down? They'll let me down. Harry and Paul have no problem letting me down, but they won't let the listener down. So uh, tune in tomorrow night. It won't be a proper show, in, and, and I won't be there because I've got some work that I've got to do. I'll be at work. Um, on a competing network and uh, they pay me so I'm going to do it there and uh, then we'll have a virtual Liberty and Chill so we're going to send out the Zoom link it's going to be sent out publicly and a bunch of people compile in here and just have a fun chit chat so hang out with everybody maybe watch some movies or TV or something so all right, thanks everybody we really appreciate you listening and if you get something out of this show please share it with your friends right now is the most important time if you're listening to the end of this show You are one of those important people that loves this show and can give one of the best recommendations for people. You know, it really is the only way that we grow rapidly, and that is listen to these guys. They have great information. It made me think this. It made me feel this. You're going to feel this. That stuff is just so meaningful to people. We really do appreciate when you do that on social media or on the Apple reviews and Google reviews. So thanks so much for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.